Hi there, and welcome to the Third Impact Anime Podcast, where we talk about anime, video games, and conventions, with a healthy amount of existential dread mixed in. You can find out more about our podcast by following us on Twitter, at T-I underscore anime. Or just like us on Facebook to not see our posts, because that's just how it is now. Thanks again for stopping by, and enjoy the show! Welcome to another hopefully excellent episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast. I'm the host, Austin, here, and with me I've got Sully. Hi. And I've also got Bill. Hello. Are you guys happy and healthy this evening? I am fit as a fiddle. Uh, Sure, let's go with that. Today we're going to be talking about um, Marie Kondo and the KonMari method. Um, that's something that's kind of um, been rising in popularity lately, and uh, and uh, we all sort of have uh, different different thoughts about how like this particular uh, thing and this particular person, like what thoughts she has and ideas can contribute uh, directly to like uh, anime fans or like fandom in general, and like quote the quote unquote as Sully would say it like the otaku lifestyle and I'm sure he'll explain more about that in a little bit um but before we get into that um what's everybody been up to so I have had a few days before I have to start my summer classes to get my degree and graduate and move on with my life and face that terrifying boy and I've been spending that time watching Agretzko on Netflix and catching up with um, some of the anime that I started for the season, um, had Yatsura playing on in the background as I normally do. Have been, uh, I think the thing I've been doing most in my like sudden downtime, but I don't know what to do with, is playing the uh, new Kirby game, Star Allies. I just finished that nice. uh, two days ago, and then I, uh, as a as a sort of graduation present to myself, I walked over to Lost Ark and I got um, Link Between Worlds for a dollar because I had a I had a store credit I had sat on for some time, and I uh, after finishing finishing Kirby, I just started that. I haven't really gotten far because I've had to run errands, but uh, I've been doing more gaming than I have watching any sort of series. Uh, I've had a Gretz going in the background while working on panels or. Uh, doing personal writing, but I haven't actually sat down and uh, watched anything like and focused my entire attention. It's a great show to kind of have on uh, while you do other things because it's so fast paced. Yeah, I think both of you now have gotten through a Gretzko and I haven't even started it yet. But uh, like everyone that I've uh, heard talk about it has said it's it's really good and has some some really like relatable moments. So that, that's good that it's really resonating with people. That's fun. It seems yeah, like I mean, I hated show. my job, too, so... <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody either like has been there or is there right now to a degree, especially if you're like in the, your post high school era or probably some people still in high school that are just like, oh, man, my job is 
the worst. My coworkers are bad, and I just want to scream death metal at the karaoke bar. Oh, or whatnot. sweetheart, it only gets worse. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> but hey, you know, communal empathy through watching anime. That's a good thing. Uh, so, uh, at Anime Club yesterday, uh, we all watched, uh, we did like a marathon of, um, My Hero Academia for free comic book day. And, um, I'd seen the first season and Bill, you're, you're almost caught up, right? No, I'm trying to though. It's the other, because I'm doing a lot more writing for the website, which everyone should check out at www.thirdimpactanime.wordpress.com. Shameless plug. Hey, it's hey. not shameless. They're listening to our podcast. They're already they're here to be shamed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, uh, I guess more uh, because you know, Bill, you've you've already seen it. You're already into it. You're in for it. And me, yeah. me too. I'm just not caught up. But Sully, what do you think of My Hero Academia since you hadn't seen it yet? So I have some questions. Okay, if it's about the toes, I don't want to hear it. It was that. Also, the hair thing. <laughs> Hair, what hair thing? Oh, oh, the hair thing. My hair, and then you will gain my powers. And is is that how it works? Absolutely. I mean, I I I liked it enough that I was I want to uh, continue it. We watched uh, the first episode and the two season recaps, and uh, we kind of stopped there. And it was enough to kind of say, oh, you know, I think this is something I would enjoy because I've been kind of burnt out on superhero. Um, I as we will continue to talk about, I have no idea. I, I don't watch Marvel movies and I don't say that to be hipster. It's just like, it's just not my cup of tea. So I'm so in the dark with that, but I was, I've always been a huge Batman fan and I've been really burnt out with like the fact that DC doesn't even know what it's doing anymore and hasn't been good since the like late eighties. But uh, <laughs> So I, I, I was telling friends, it's like, oh, me and Batman are going through a trial separation right now. Mommy and Daddy are working through some things. And <laughs> I think um, My Hero Academia is uh, – it's anime enough for me to to want to watch it and superhero enough for me to think, okay, I kind of understand where this is coming from. It's interesting to see another culture kind of play with uh, conventions that we kind of know – uh in the background growing up like the the sound effects i know it's like the boom and the smack that are very much you know of american comics more so than manga and the bright colors and the the way they explain the superpowers is uh very much like an interesting combination of manga and traditional american comics so it's enough for me to say ah i'll give it a shot um for me, villains are always a thing that I, I love Batman villains. I, I love them all very dearly. They're the reason I read those comics. And I'm hoping that my hero, from what I've seen, they seem to have some characters I could latch, you know, think, fight for the, the, the wrong side of the law, if you know what I mean. Yeah, like their villains are, are they're interesting. But at the same time, like My Hero Academia doesn't really have the the um interesting heroes deficiency that a lot of like western comic books might have because like usually when it comes to you know western comics um and i mean like the mainline ones like the the big two like dc and marvel it's like if you're not really so much interested in like the title hero then like what grabs your interest is definitely the rogues gallery and like when it comes to characters like Batman and Spider-Man and whatnot, it's like there's the one hero and then like all these villains. 
Um, but with My Hero Academia, there's like a whole it's like a whole giant team of heroes and they all like have to work together. Uh, whereas something like Avengers, which we'll get into a little bit because Bill and I want to talk about Infinity War for a second. Um, they more are like these sort of like big personalities that all get stuck in the same room and they it's it seems like it's a lot more trouble for them to try and work together but like with my hero academia it's like it's all about working together and and they're all very interesting fun characters that are easy to latch on to so i think that's something i noticed um watching is that in a lot of uh american superhero media uh the the whole big personality thing is a is a huge like selling point because you don't want superman to be you know playing you know the background character because you're going to alienate your readers but in my hero like we were watching the swimming episode the recap they do with that and it's kind of i kind of picked up that like the more they fight or the the more they don't get along the worse things go for them so it's kind of uh the narrative is playing with this idea of like no you have to work together there is yeah. no room for having an ego the the spiky mean boy the more he has an ego the more it kind of backfires on him and it's it's kind of interesting to see that play out in a way that feels more natural than it sometimes does in american comics it makes me think of a lot of uh alex ross's justice miniseries that came out i think like 2006 it's kind of a play on like the old super friends and it's very colorful and bright but the stakes are higher so that kind of makes me think of my hero that playful but there's still like some weight to the story. Yeah. Speaking of weight to a story, Bill. Yeah. Avengers Infinity War. Yes, I finally saw it. Okay. What did you think of Infinity War? Um, overall, I felt like as a comic book movie, if this was a comic book event, it would be pretty good. Um, as a movie, I had a few problems with it. Um, one, I feel like the juxtaposition of going back and forth between different groups was a bit jarring for a movie. And because the Marvel movies have always had kind of had a lighter tone, excluding Civil War to a certain extent, I'm going to be interested to see if there's going to be any um, backlash towards... Infinity War, because it's a very dark movie compared to Thor Ragnarok or the Guardians movies uh, that, that have come before. Um, but overall, I I liked it. Uh, I liked Thanos as a bad guy. I felt like they gave him stakes and they gave him reasoning, unlike most Marvel bad guys who have been grumble, grumble, grumble. I just want to destroy the world. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the team-ups like Iron Man and Spider-Man. I thought that was really fun. Um, and my, I'm just really curious where they're going to go with the Marvel Universe after Avengers 4 because they've been building up to Thanos since Iron Man 1. So now that, now if that big bad's out of the way, what's the steam that's going to keep the train going? I just hope that, um... Well, okay. To go back to the first, to one of the points that you made, I feel like if there was going to be any backlash to this film, we would know about it already. So I feel like the audiences are generally fine with it because they know that the resolution is just, it's only a year away. Like we're getting well, a sequel to this movie in like no time. 
the reason I say that is I'm just thinking if I was an eight-year-old or 10-year-old kid going to see this movie, I'd be probably bawling my eyes out because in every movie I've seen so far, every superhero has won or beaten the bad guy. So I'm just surprised, like, families aren't, families are mad at Avengers Infinity War for its, its oh, it's death and, and it's violence. And, you know, the, I'm just surprised that hasn't been a big talking point um, because the, the movie is very dark, but it, it, but it has its purpose. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're we're living in like a, a sort of the post Dark Knight era of like superhero movies, and like those movies were pretty dark, and there's a lot of death and a lot of like pretty serious stuff in there. So I I feel like whenever that stuff comes up, like audiences aren't blindsided by it anymore. Mm, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the Marvel movies are sort of like like death is an inconvenient sort of thing because many characters just sort of reappear and whatnot, but that's like a comic book thing. Um, yeah. Like you, if, you would know that for sure. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're a common Western comic book reader, you should know that there's no such real thing as death in superhero comics in Marvel. The only people who are truly dead are Uncle Ben and Gwen yeah. Stacy. <laughs> and Aunt May is never allowed to die. Nope. We, for some <laughs> reason, we have to have that matriarch. For some yeah. reason. Um, as, in terms of myself, I also really enjoyed Infinity War. I thought it was a great sort of um, culmination of everything that's come before. And I definitely hear you with the jumping back and forth between the groups, but I'm like there's really not any other way they could have done it. Like, and I, I yeah. think that might be something that gets better with repeat viewings because you already know, like what's going to happen and when and all that. Yeah. I, for what they had to do, I feel they did really well because everyone got a moment and everyone got, um, uh, kind of funny moments. And if you're, into the the current the most recent like black panther you got a good black panther segment towards the end and you have to see everyone from there again so i i think what'll make this movie uh in my mind is greater is when avengers 4 eventually gets released because even though they say it's another movie they they basically split the movie in half because the avengers infinity war is two and a half hours and they knew no audience would stand being in the theater for five to six hours. Right, that's definitely for sure. My one question that I am kind of wondering from Infinity War is where are they going to go after Thanos? Because, you know, the Avengers are probably going to beat him in four. So I'm just wondering what big band could take the place of something they could build to for the next um, phase of the Marvel Universe. Mm, what what I hope, probably against hope, is that they just keep doing like new and more interesting like little side stories with not quite as like you know high stakes because I don't want the Marvel universe to turn into like Dragon Ball Z where they keep trying to like one up over and over and over because Thanos is kind of like a Frieza esque character. And if they keep doing like all the big bads like in order, it's just going to feel like exhausting after a while. Um, so I hope what they do is that they just make more like really good smaller stories. Like there was a lot of weight in Black Panther 
but it was it wasn't like world crushing weight you know what i mean it was like a very personal story and that's what made it weighty and that was the same thing for like spider-man homecoming and Mm. um it's it was a little bit weightier but like thor ragnarok also the stakes were not like i mean they were pretty high but well, they were really high in that movie, so maybe you don't <laughs> maybe don't count that one. But uh, but I think you know what I mean. Like movies, more movies like Ant Man and Spider Man and Black Panther and stuff like that, just really sort of expand the the Marvel universe into like those other characters. Or like whenever some of the title characters like Cap and Iron Man, like those actors are gonna move on probably pretty soon in one way or another. And like seeing other characters sort of step into that role and sort of the the universal uh, and uh, like situational implications of that are interesting things to explore. So I hope that's what they do. Well, my thinking is if the Fox Disney merger actually goes through, they're going to do Avengers versus X-Men or they can use Doctor Doom as the big band. Yeah, I mean, they'll pro- that's probably what they want to do, but um I'm just I'm saying what I what I wish would happen, but probably my wishes will not be granted. Probably because I well, I enjoy the X-Men, especially with what Fox has been doing with Wolverine. I I like that Marvel's exploring their more obscure characters. And with with if the Fox deal goes through, then I'm afraid those obscure character character movies are going to go bye bye. It's been nice knowing you. Yeah. I guess but we'll where see does Frasier fit into all this? You're gonna have to explain that, Sully. Uh, okay, so here's again. I don't watch Marvel movies, and I don't understand. I've never read Marvel comics. I've only ever read Batman comics growing up, and so all I know is there's a big pink guy with a gold glove and chaos emeralds, and he kills everyone, <laughs> and they disintegrate. And before I knew this, I follow an an out of context Frasier Twitter. Uh, because I love Frasier, and um, they had an image of Frasier like evaporating, and it's saying like Niles, please, and I just reblogged it because I just thought it was just funny. I thought it was just like a random meme, and someone said that spoilers for Infinity War. I'm like, so Frasier's in it? <laughs> yes, Frasier. <laughs> and so I I was very confused, and I didn't know when Kelsey Grammer became a Marvel hero, or when you know the Frasier universe became <laughs> you know absorbed within the canon and. I'm still lost. Did he it's, die? It's it's funny you mention that because Kelsey Grammer actually does play the Beast in X Men Three, The Last Stand, and he also reprises his role in Days of Future Past. So technically, I guess Frazier is in the Marvel universe or the Dream. Uh, Frazier Crane is Doctor Doom. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Could you imagine? I'm listening. all right so enough about stupid american manga aka comic books uh i guess i guess we can jump in and actually talk about what we're here to talk about which is the konmari method
Sully, you, you, you sort of, you know, introduced us to this uh, weird yet surprisingly insightful and very helpful thing. So can you explain what the KonMari method is? So it's it's kind of several things. It's it's sort of a, a life philosophy, which again makes it sound really cultish. Um, it's kind of a spinoff in a way from minimalism. I, I personally prefer it to minimalism. It's uh, a way of organizing your belongings in your household and uh, finding ways to prioritize the things you care about in your life, be they pursuits or physical objects or um, even just the kind of thoughts that you have. And it was developed by this, this Japanese woman named Mari Kondo who wrote two books about it, and she's working on the third, and has a manga adaptation, the life-changing manga of Tidying Up. Um, and she sort of inspired this little, she's created this little cottage industry of the KonMari method where she tells you how to fold your clothes and how to organize your papers and how to clean your house and, you know, uh, I, I was introduced to it by a friend of mine who, uh, told me to read the book. I asked, oh, well, can I borrow it? No, I tossed it out. And that was kind of fitting for her method. Um, wow. And, well, wow. She, she didn't just toss it out. She, she sold it to a used bookstore, but, um, I did eventually read it and I read it mostly because I had a lot of things in my life, like physical things that were just cluttering my space. And it was, I was moving between dorms and moving back home and then moving to an apartment and then moving back on to a dorm to finish going to school and getting a minor and then going to move again into another apartment. And as I kept doing that, like going home for the summer or changing dorms or whatever, I just noticed all the stuff that I had and how much of it, either I had no place to put it or I would just crowd it in, and it would just be, uncomfortable and awkward and full of things that I really just did not like, but I didn't want to like just throw away or get rid of, or I thought, Oh, well, I'll miss it. Or, you know, Oh, I remember I got this because I hung out with my friends that day and I won this keychain or whatever. And so I read this book, uh, kind of saying, okay, you know, I'm not big into self-help, but you know, I'll, I'll try it. I'll read it. It sounds at least interesting. And Mari Kondo is, if anything, an interesting person. Um, and so I kind of, uh, around Christmas this year, I sat down and uh, did my first sort of KonMari purge. And originally I was going to write an article about it, but as I kept trying to sit and write it, it became kind of like a diary. And then it turned into a thing where I would have wanted to have more of a discussion. So... I decided we would do it as a podcast, and I'm kind of glad that we put it off until now because my own kind of views on uh, KonMari and sort of the reasons why I did it have, have changed and shifted and I think have reached kind of a, a more polished state than, a, than I had originally. Hmm. So what's what's your initial takes on this bill? Like, what do you think about it? Since you're since, um, you know, I've, I've kind of been, you know, exploring some of the facets of minimalism myself. And, you know, Sully and I sort of off discussed it um, on, you know, in various ways since he introduced the idea of doing an article about it a couple months back. But um, um, what do you think about it? Um, I think it's a real interesting method because. Basically, the way she talks about it is if it seems the clutter in our life, the things that make up your house or your apartment, it consumes you where it just keeps you. It's basically busy work where it distracts you from your goals that you want to accomplish or that you wish to accomplish. 
um, is kind of the way I saw it. And if you do one super clean and have things organized and just figure out what you care about and what you don't care about definitively, then you can then focus on your greater goals. Like um, it could be uh, getting that job you want or figuring out, am I in a happy relationship? Uh, do I want to take this relationship to the next step? Am I happy where I live? Um, but because we're consumed by the things that we own, we lose sight of that. And I think a, a lot of sort of her, you know, quote unquote method is stuff that like, I think everybody sort of implicitly knows that the accumulation of stuff does not necessarily make you a happier or more like enlightened person or anything like that. Not that there's anything wrong with collecting. And I mean, I'm, I'm definitely a collector. I got a lot of crap. Um, but like a lot of the crap that we have, we don't really need. Um, and I think everybody knows that, but I think what Marie Kondo does a really good job of, if not a little bit too sort of Puritan, maybe sometimes is that, um, she sort of articulates sort of the ideas that I think a lot of us already feel about our stuff. Um, like I think everyone at the end of the day can sit and think about like, well, you know, what makes me really happy are my relationships and my friendships with other people and the experiences that I have in my life, not necessarily all the crap that you accumulate. Um, and I think that she does a good job of articulating that. And I'm going to preface this by saying I think she's absolutely completely out of her nut. Um, I, <laughs> she I, is about some things, but I mean, she's I kind revere of, her, and I think she's a, a pretty, you know, smart person, obviously an incredible businesswoman and, you know, obviously very put together but something she kind of says is a little um i'd like to recommend therapy to her and you know maybe sitting down with someone who could talk about the fact that she can sort of obsessively categorize very personal things and uh, it sometimes comes off as a bit robotic and odd but um like personally like i tried folding my clothes in her method and i did it for about six months and after a while, I got so tired of it. I'm like, I'm just folding my shirts. Like I have folded my shirts since I was, you know, seven. You know, I'm not going to change because it supposedly saves drawer space. And it really didn't. I mean, so I think there is a there's room for relaxation. As much as she says you have to do it this way, there is room to kind of figure out your own way of doing this. And again, I'm kind of using KonMari as a jumping point to like a bigger discussion of like the nerd community be that like anime or comics or anything that revolves around fascination with pop culture so much of that is built on buying and consuming things and i think we're kind of hitting points in our generation where it's getting unhealthy and so that was something that when i started my little journey with this you know she says you know picture what your life you want your life to be like and be very specific and i thought well i want the things i really and truly care about to be you know, close at hand, but I want to not necessarily feel like my entire identity is based around the media I consume. So um, that was kind of my goal with this is I see things I don't like or that I worry about. Let me take proactive steps to kind of fix that within my own life. Mm. Well, I, I, th I think you're right in that it seems to be, especially if you go to, a, especially in 
kind of nerd culture stuff. It's about consumer goods. But I think that comes from a place of back in the day, you couldn't get a so-and-so figure of your favorite show. And now the market is specifically catering to nerds. And so I think that's kind of what has opened the floodgates. I mean, um, there's a great documentary called The Toys That Made Us, if anyone has seen that. Um, Yeah. There's a a particular episode on He-Man, I remember, where they say, yeah, the He-Man toys I couldn't afford, but now I can just go to this con dedicated to He-Man and get the figure that I always wanted as a child. So it's basically the the nerds have taken the business roles that their parents once had, and now they're trying to just uh, appeal to the nerds. And nerd culture is also mainstream, and that comes with a, a whole swath of people trying to, you know, buy and sell things to, you know, the most amount of people as possible, which is just sort of inherent in, you know, like, a materialist society that most of the world kind of lives in, and that, you know, America being so focused on its major export as being, like, entertainment is, like, the worldwide hub of that, and, and Japan is is very much similar in that way with um with sort of otaku goods and anime being such a big part of their pop culture and we in america just we are a realistic nate uh nation um it's just kind of built within our uh nature and our foundation as a country too definitely um, and I don't necessarily want to say these sort of things and, and do it in a kind of condescending way, because I don't, I think there is a very healthy way of approaching thought like this. Like what I was telling Austin is like, you know, if it were up to me, I want to be like the, like weeaboo Martha Stewart, where, you know, I, I, I like the idea of like living a lifestyle through your hobbies, but not letting your hobbies necessarily define you. And that sounds kind of like, uh, that sounds a bit like hypocritical, but I think there is a difference. I think there's a difference between me saying, I really like watching and writing about and engaging with the anime community, but I don't necessarily feel like my entire personality is based on the objects that I kind of consume. I mean, I have a lot of interests as a person and even beyond what I'm interested in, even if we talk about like, you know, like adult interests, like, you know, like reading literature or food um, <laughs> or food, like, or being, you know, like a gourmet, like there's also like your personal values or the experiences that you want to have or um, how you interact with others. I think we sometimes kind of forget because, I mean, we wear the t-shirts and we buy the figures and stuff, but then there's this point of, you know, there's, there's a point where it's okay. And then I think there's a point where it's like, you are just a billboard for things now. You're no longer your own. You're not making it your own. And I think part of doing something like KonMari is kind of saying, this is what I like, but this is how I make it my own. Um, I'm really in the Rocky Horror community, and I am friends with people who collect a lot of, like, vintage, like, playbills and stuff. And, you know, some of them collect everything, like for every single production that's come out since like 1973. And then like me, it's, I like things that are interesting and I don't want to just be this one play slash movie I love, but I 
want to show that it's a part of me. I want to show that Sailor Moon is a part of me and affected me growing up or Batman or whatever other thing that, you know, really spoke to me. I want to say, hey, this is something I enjoy. I want to put a figure in my home or wear a T-shirt, but I don't want to just be, I am only these things. Mm-hmm. I, I think it just comes from this fear of, um, just because maybe you talk about one thing a lot, like for me, I talk a lot about Hearthstone, the, but that doesn't mean that Hearthstone is my sole thing that I care about. <laughs> like I can, like, I'm really into hiking. I really am into Doctor Who audio plays. I'm really into podcasting. I, and I think the key thing is you, you just have to just take it in moderation and when you're around people just realize that maybe they don't want to talk about Hearthstone every single moment of the day. (laughs) I think a lot of this is just like, um, adults sort of coming out of adolescence where like most of folks's, um, adolescence is really sort of defined by the things that you're interested in. And that definitely does carry over into adulthood, but once you're in adulthood and your idea, your um, identity is more like solidified and you sort of figured out who you are as a person generally, I guess that you're, it sort of becomes like you as a person define who you are as a person, not necessarily what you consume or what you are. So if that is all, you know, as nerds, you know, a large part of our identity is based around the things that we enjoy. A lot of our, especially for me myself, like a lot of my most meaningful relationships are based around the things that I share a mutual enjoyment with others with but i guess that it all it's also like if i'm going to choose to express myself my love for like evangelion or something like that like i would much rather have like one very nice evangelion thing rather than trying to buy like 30 different like mediocre evangelion things and i I think that's a lot of of where uh, marie kondo is coming from like i think that yeah, I might be giving her a little bit too much credit, I guess, but I think a lot of her like mm, idiosyncratic like ways of thinking about things are just to sort of get people in that mindset of like extreme tidying, I guess, um, to sort of push them to the edge of being like, I don't know, like maybe she's being a little bit tougher on people and tougher on her audience to get people to make those initial steps, but like. There was a uh, a Q&A with her that I watched and she was like responding to somebody's question about about something. And then she she sort of hinted at that, like, you know, really, at the end of the day, it's very like her method is like a very personal thing. Like, it's all about what sparks joy in people. And she she um she said a um a line that was along the lines of like. If having a lot of things, like even if you have a lot of stuff, but all that stuff still sparks joy in you, that is still kind of part of the KonMari method. It's just about, you know, reducing the amount of crap that you have to only the crap that you have that makes you happy. And I'm like, I think that's, I totally get that. That's valid and fair, and that's cool. And I think that's a very important thing to bring up is the idea of like sparking joy, and it's kind of a, the comparisons KonMari has gotten to minimalism. So spark joy is this idea, like, let's say, like, on my desk, I have this uh, figure of long hair Bananya that uh, Marissa, our fellow Third Impactor, gave me as a uh, present. 
and I pick it up, I'm physically holding it, and I think, is this something that sparks joy? And when I see it, I think, well, this character, this little, you know, cat from this cute series is something that, like, everyone teases me, oh, Sully, that's you, you're a long-haired banana, especially Marissa, and she saw it and said, I saw it and instantly thought of you, and I got it for you, and now every time I look at it, I think of how cute it is, how I'm like, yes, I kind of see myself, I like how my friends see me as being like this character, and I like that Marissa saw it and thought of me enough by it to to give it to me as a gift. So I, it sparked joy, and that's putting words on it, and she really kind of says, don't try to explain it, but uh, you can't really say that in a podcast that's very, you know, based on the audio. And so, and that can be anything. Like I uh, have also kind of learned things I don't have. So since I'm in kind of a transitional housing thing right now, I did not bring all of my stuff, but I really miss my Link Figma that I got. It was like the first like figure I got that was nice. And I don't have it. It's packed up at, at home in storage. And I just, you know, I frequently thank God I miss having it nearby. I miss playing with it. I miss posing it. And so that's something that kind of by absence I've learned is something that sparks joy in me. Now, something that doesn't spark joy is I have like a ton of keychains I've gotten either as gifts or, you know, impulse buys at cons or, you know, prints that I don't really like anymore or things like that that you, you feel like you have to hold on to, but they don't really do anything for you. And you're not really thrilled to have them and that you forget that you have them. I mean, I always end up having little boxes under my bed of stuff I just forget I have because I don't use it. And I think that's the difference between something like KonMari and minimalism, where um, I watched the documentary on it on Netflix and the guys who do it, um, I don't want to say necessarily that they're kind of, that they're kind of, haughty about it because they had very tragic lives but uh there is this idea of minimalism as being something that very wealthy people do and that they kind of act it's kind of like maybe how some people might view veganism or something that's a uh, a hobby for the the elite to kind of you know have less and then somehow still have more than you as yeah, someone i think that all come i think that all really boils down to framing like how you frame these certain ideas right like, and I, I think it. with KonMari, because it is based on, it's not necessarily you get rid of everything or you try to live with just the bare minimums. You decide how much or how little, and you just, it's cutting the fat rather than, yeah. you know, getting rid of everything. And it's sort of like coming to the personal realization that, like, if you're stressed out by having so much stuff, like, you don't need to have all that stuff. Like, you can just get rid of it. Yeah, and based on what you said, Sully, it sounds to me like the wealthy people who are doing the minimalism, um, it sounds like to me it's like an act of rebellion of, I have all this money, but look, I don't need all the things that show that I am wealthy. Uh, I mean, I think that's kind of like an overgeneralization, too, because it's, it's not like just wealthy people do the minimalism thing, but I definitely, I, I definitely hear where you're coming from. Well, in, in, that, in that case. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I didn't mean that to say as an overall thought. Yeah, I was just making clarification. I, I get where you're coming from. And I think in a way, it, all of this is a bit of a rebellion because I, I have met people in various fan circles who they do buy everything for their chosen obsession. Like I have met Sailor Moon fans who will buy everything, even if it's, you know, impractical. I 
don't wear lipstick. So I don't need the Sailor Moon lipstick if it's just going to sit in the tube on a shelf and not do anything and it's not really that attractive to me or, um, you know, I'm going to dis American merchandise for a second, but a lot of the stuff you see in the Hot Topic I don't think is that visually appealing or interesting, so I pass on it. But I've met people who are like, no, it has Sailor Moon written on it, so I'm going to buy it. And I think we we kind of as fans sometimes build this idea of we prove our loyalty or we prove our identity through our purchase and so i've kind of reframed myself as you know i the fact that i care about something is enough i don't have to prove my my loyalty to a thing with buying it from a store and i think that's kind of going into gatekeeping too like oh you're a fan but you don't have like the three thousand dollar life-size devil man statue that only came out in 1983 and only had 600 <laughs> printed i'm like no because i don't have that kind of money or i think that would be a little mad to to to, to do something like that unless that statue really like made you entirely beyond happy Sully, do you have that statue no fake fan <laughs> but but that's something you do come across is people saying you know if you don't have this thing like there is like merchandise and monetary gatekeeping uh that happens and i think we as as a community need to kind of push back against that you know not everyone has the resources or even the interest there's some stuff i'm like that's just not my cup of tea to own even if it is something i uh for a fandom or a character i like it's just i don't think it's that nice to me well when it comes to gatekeeping i don't think it's material goods i think it's more knowledge when it comes to gatekeeping like i'm going to use one piece for example um if I was a snooty One Piece fan, I would be, tell me the tragic backstory of Nika Robin and tell me what arc it was and tell me which manga chapter it was. I, I think that's more common with nerddom when it comes to gatekeeping is, do you know? Uh, or uh, in Western uh, fandom, it'd be like, Austin, tell me what episode did the Seventh Doctor meet the... Cybermen for their 25th anniversary, something like that. <laughs> uh, uh, pass. <laughs> uh, uh, trust me, it's it wasn't that good. It was Revenge of the Cybermen. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks for letting me know, Bill. Thanks. I'll, I'll remember that if I'm on Jeopardy, British Jeopardy, but, <laughs> British Jeopardy, exactly. But I, I think the thing is, is when it comes to fandom and gatekeeping, gatekeeping is just BS to feel to make yourself feel superior. And to, you can just talk about your fandom. Like, that's what I do with One Piece, where I'll talk about it to my good friend Michael, talk about it every week. Or when it comes to uh, Hearthstone, I have friends that I'll talk to it about. Or with Doctor Who, I'll talk to Austin about it, but I don't feel like I have to buy the latest version of the Doctor Screwdriver or have the absolute knowledge of how many times did the Solarians deal with the Sixth Doctor, stuff like that. I think it's important too to be to also make the clarification that like if you are that fan, that if if it says Sailor Moon on it, or if it says you know Evangelion on it, and you buy it, and that's how you express your fandom, you know what? That's totally valid. You do you. You're no less or more of a fan 
of that thing than anybody else. And if that's what makes you happy, then go for it. But I'm just like, I think what we're all trying to say and what the KonMari method kind of also says is that like, you don't need that stuff to validate your existence or your happiness as a person or as a fan of a thing. I think it all just um, depends on how do you like expressing it and are you doing it in a safe way where it's not consuming your life uh, monetarily or mentally. And one thing that I think is kind of important when talking about things like this is also just maybe like some ethics. And I, I use that term really loosely when buying things. Like I've really discovered that I like buying used things when I can. Same um, here. Uh, used manga. I We have a local used bookstore that we frequent very often to the point that the other day I said, Austin, we go every week, I want to go somewhere else. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I I personally, and I'm, I'm not, again, I really want to, to open this as something that's more of a, you know, try it and see if it might make you feel better. Because when I did and I got rid of stuff, it made me feel better. And also giving it to other fans or selling it you know made me feel better like i know it's probably going to go to someone who hopefully isn't just going to have it sit in their clutter pile but they're going to appreciate it in a way that i couldn't um but like i'm personally trying not to use amazon anymore because i don't like the way they treat their employees or their business practices or the effects they've had on the publishing industry so i try to buy either from the used bookstore that i visit locally and it's a small company that only has a few stores or through ebay uh, which is probably also terrible, but I right now have less compulsions <laughs> than eBay. But I try to find different ways of getting the things I want if if it, if that's possible. So a lot of manga, mm -hmm. if it's not brand brand new, you can find it, uh, you know, through most used bookstores or through eBay or through fans at conventions pretty easily and for a lot cheaper. Or DVDs, Blu-rays. Um, things like that i've or even clothing like i never wore graphic t-shirts until like a year or two ago because what i wore was very heavily policed when i was going through that age when most young fans are like going to the hot topic but i've learned it's like you know i found some vintage like anime t-shirts that i really like and that they're comfortable and i've you know i feel a little better about that than spending money at a store that's selling it new and it's going to be contributing to the problem of sustainability in the fashion industry mm -hmm. and i think you brought up something interesting too about like the ebay thing and amazon and whatnot like um and this just sparked the thought in me as well like a lot of people will go to conventions and be like wow gosh this stuff is so expensive i can easily get it online on amazon so much cheaper and there is a lot of truth to that but I think at the same time, like, I, I guess ethically, I would rather support somebody who, like, you know, goes around the country and sells, like, their, you know, anime goods at conventions than just throw another, like, 12 or 15 bucks at Amazon. Like, I mean, there, there's obviously, like, a logical level of, of, you know, leeway that you can give to some people. Like, if somebody is really selling something for way more than it's worth... I mean, obviously, you know, don't buy it. But at the same time, if it's like, you know, the difference of like five dollars, I would, you know, personally, I would much rather throw it the way towards somebody who's like trying to make a living and doing this uh, personally rather than throw it at some like giant company or whatnot.
that's why I'm a big fan of like right stuff is, you know, I mean, they're a company, but they're not a large company. And they're like, if I want something anime related and it's something new, I will, I've just started going to right stuff because I I've emailed them before. I had a problem like with a payment, like they messed up my credit card or something. And I emailed them like, Oh, we're so sorry. Yeah. Well, we fit like I got a human being and that was nice. And I know that they go around the country and like I've been to their booths at cons and they give me good discounts just for being there in person and buying. Like I'd rather support like a smaller company that like wants to be a part of the community, either that being like the anime community or like Lost Ark, the video game store that, you know, is where we live. And I know that I see them both like at local events here and just like in my daily life, like at the store, like I rather support that than what I believe to be a company attempting to one, destroy the book industry and also take over the world. Hmm. And I know that that's kind of easy for us to say because all of us are like, we go to cons fairly frequently, Um, some of us more than others. And we're very lucky to have like a lot of good resources for used stuff around us. Um, but not not everyone necessarily has that, unfortunately. But I think there yeah. are some decent options online, like companies, like smaller companies, like Discotech, Bill. Uh, I know you preach that pretty heavily, as do I. And uh, write <laughs> stuff that are like they're outside of that big box store sort of, um, you know, community for lack of a better <laughs> term. Well, as I'm gonna say, I'm going to. Do- I'm going to be the devil's advocate for a quick second. Don't you because, care. Yes, sorry, because the, the truth is I don't go to cons a lot. And I think the way it works usually is um, when you're growing up and when you're in college, you don't have a lot of money. So you're going to you're going to use the cheapest option available legally or illegally. Um, Very but fair. As you, but as you get older and you start to get an income, then you start actually paying for stuff. Uh, I, I just think that's how we as a generation have become at this point, and that's how future generations are going to go. Because torrenting is never going to go away, even though Crunchyroll is super cheap and uh, at what seven dollars a month, something, something like, like that, that, yeah, something like that. And they, I, I that's the way I kind of see it. Is if I can support. Look, uh, locally, like going to write stuff, or if I'm at a con, rarely I will try and buy something from, like, let's say Discotech, because I love Discotech. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I, I'm, I'm have a low, uh, I will go for the sale, and I, I think that's the thing is support locally when you can, but don't feel that you're obligated to it. I think the core message of this thing is is find find your way uh and it could be through any method don't like lose for me, your I'm, way yeah <laughs> yeah what's the what's the Fleetwood Mac song you could go your way yeah. <laughs> uh, two two very different references there bill kill a kill and Fleetwood Mac <laughs> where's that mashup <laughs> make, make that happen <laughs> kill the John Mac. John do it <laughs> Um, and, and talking about that, like, again, it really is, like I said, I tried folding my clothes the Kambari way and I just got kind of sick of it. I think, you know, folding it the normal way is, um, not going to hurt. And like I said, I don't want to make this like a moralizing, like, you know, you shouldn't buy from Amazon. It makes you a horrible person. Like for me, my personal choice was, you know, 
I want to do this because of XYZ reasons, and I'm not going to, like, try to dissuade anyone one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And, like, another thing, like, Austin, one thing that happened with you in the vintage anime group that we're in, you posted something you evolved that had belonged to a fan, and you tried to track them down. And I thought that was just such an amazing experience. Like, you bought something use and then you had like that kind of connection with another person i think that kind of happens when you go to like these otaku flea markets or mm-hmm. when you buy locally from used stores or whatever you kind of see like oh this is part of a, a community of people sharing things they love let me go grab that thing because i forgot the gentleman's name but i'll tell that story um since um probably most of the people listening are not in that uh, facebook group but you totally should be so hold that thought one second so basically what happened the story was um uh i wanted i recently watched um i think i mentioned it on an episode or something i recently watched um and this was a couple months ago at this point so not that recent but anyway i watched um arcadia of my youth the um captain harlock film and i really really enjoyed that movie uh so i wanted to get more into harlock things but i wasn't quite ready to jump full long into watching the actual tv series because that was a little bit longer of a commitment than what I wanted to get into at that time. Uh, So I went online and found a pretty cheap copy of the uh, Queen Emeraldus OVA that came out in the 90s, I believe. And uh, it was on VHS. It's the old uh, ADV films release of it. And I bought it. It used the first volume of the first two episodes for like, I don't know, six or seven dollars. Um, and, uh, upon getting it in the mail, I saw that there is a, uh, property of sticker, uh, on the tape itself. And it was a property of a gentleman named, uh, Paul Roberts. And it has like his contact information, like his email address, his phone number, like two different phone numbers, a PO box and all this sort of stuff. And I thought, you know, this guy's got all of his info on here. You know, I'll, I'll just send him an email or something or give him a call and be like, Hey man, I got your I got your tape and uh, I got it from a seller in Arizona and it says you were based out of Utah. So and now it's in North Carolina. So isn't that wacky? Um, but then after a little bit of digging online, I realized that this gentleman had actually passed away in a uh, car accident back in uh, 2011. Um, and I uh, figured that out by just searching his full name um in utah and then the obituary article came up and it said in his obituary that he was a uh computer programmer and a fan of uh sci-fi comics and tv shows and stuff and i thought you know there's just no way that you know there could be another person from the same town with the same set of interests and this tape not have come from him um, so I posted about it in the uh, vintage anime fans group and it it got a lot of attention. And I and I just thought that, like, it was just so interesting that, um, you know, a piece of his uh, large collection that I assume uh, his family sort of, you know, sold off and whatnot um, after his passing, like it ended up, you know, all the way out in Arizona from Utah and then all the way back to me you know, seven years later that, you know, pieces of his collection are probably still floating out there, you know, hopefully being enjoyed by by fellow fans. And just the fact that I'm I'm somewhat a part of that is just really interesting. Like, it's just this interesting little fraction of this guy's this total stranger's life that I now have in my hands, you know, something that was very important to him. That's also very important to me because we share a similar fandom. And uh, I don't know, it's just really surreal and interesting and 
this doesn't really have much to do with Marie Kondo. Um, but uh, yeah, just it's a it's a neat story. So I thought definitely worth sharing. So thanks for reminding me about that, Sully. But like I said, uh, even though we're kind of talking about the KonMari method, I wanted to use it as a springboard for just uh, more of ideas of like consumerism and fandom and how we can maybe be smarter consumers or better consumers or cut out the things that may or may not make us happy. And I think uh, I, I, I sent an article to you both from The New Yorker um, kind of talking about like the, they call it like the Japanization of America and how uh, Japan and America's cultures are kind of becoming very similar and our reaction to popular culture is becoming very similar with our, we're being put in this sort of arrested adolescence and how we can kind of, you know, take the good parts of that and the bad parts of that. I know, Bill, you mentioned you kind of were struck by the, how the, the history of Japan's economy kind of played into like KonMari method thoughts. Yeah, where the KonMari method was kind of born out of the the Japanese bubble bursting because during the 80s, Japan was on the rise where they were making so much money um, in entertainment, in manufacturing, in technology, and were the premier um, kind of country when it came to tech. I mean, um, they mentioned William Gibson, who's a famous sci-fi writer, who kind of viewed Japan as the mecca of tech. Or it's it's also seen in um, movies like Blade Mix, as the article points out to a certain degree. But when the bubble bursts, um, a lot of people um, pride and sense of self worth just evaporated, and they kind of fell into going into their nostalgia and going into fandom as sort of a incubator from the from the fallout of the <laughs> a fallout from the uh bubble burst thing and i think it's kind of similar to where is where we are kind of as america right now early where we had the housing crisis in 2007 2008 and now we're we're trying to kind of still get back on track um economically um and i'd argue um i'd argue even further back than that sort of like the uh the ripple effect of of 9-11 sort of carries over in a lot of that especially in our general cultural thought processes in the last you know 17 years or so yeah where i think because everything's just so more expensive now just uh just trying to rent just a one bedroom apartment in a major city can run you up to a thousand a thousand dollars or more yeah. um where just the cost of living and with the cost of health care can just be so astronomical that we just we go to our childhoods we go to nostalgia we go to our fandoms as sort of a blanket to, to kind of protect us from the outside world. And we go and our, to the third Impact Anime podcast. Yay! Your podcast, yes. So <laughs> I, I, I think, I think um, that her idea is by getting rid of that nostalgia, by getting rid of that fandom to a certain degree, by getting rid of the, the kind of things that keep you feeling safe, you have to you'll be able to fully examine where you are in life and 
figure out where you want to go. And I think that's a really important kind of way of putting it is um, kind of be allowing yourself to be vulnerable when you do get rid of things. She mentions, you know, all the kind of excuses we go through and how, you know, they really aren't, they aren't valid excuses. I mean, I sold off some books and I might read them again. Like if you haven't read them in so long, you know, then you're just, you're, you're just holding on to it for a wrong reason. But I had one manga. It was the very first manga I ever bought. I bought it with my very own money. It was, don't make fun of me. It was Descendants of Darkness because I was like one of the first animes I saw in like chiller. And I was like, well, I know what this is, so I'll get the manga. And um, I held it, and I had it in the bin to sell at Ichiban Con, and or Triad, rather. And I just, I held it, and it didn't sell. I had it out. No one bought it. And I just looked at it, and I thought, you know, every time I hold this, I just am brought back to that moment of the first time I opened up a manga and had to teach myself, like, okay, this is how they read it left to, or right to left, or left to right. Whatever. I can't tell directions right now. Sully, that sounds like a spark of joy. It was. That's the point I'm giving you is it was a spark of joy. And, you know, I held on to it still on my shelf. And I think, you know, I if I were to get rid of it, I think I would I wouldn't feel quite right right now. And maybe one day I can. Maybe one day I will be able to. I think that's an important thing to kind of look at. This as things come and go in our lives. Objects are impermanent. So, you know, we buy and sell things, and we, I think a good idea to see this is as circulation, you know. Those books I hadn't read, I sold them, and now someone else is reading them, and then they'll be done. And maybe they'll hold on to them for years, and they'll be beloved books on their shelf, and then they'll sell them to someone else. And I think that's kind of like Austin and that tape is, I think, a, a way we can connect this fandom is by allowing the things that we love and we treasure find their way out into the rest of the world. To quote the patron saint of Pawnee, uh, Aziz Ansari from Parks and Recreation, love is temporary, but things are forever. <laughs> well, um, sorry, Matt, you say that we're able to part things and give it to someone that will probably enjoy it more, or Austin with your story of the tape, which I think is a really kind and, and loving story, but I think about myself and I've kind of become a person that just buys my things digitally or I'll use a streaming service like Crunchyroll or Netflix. So what does, because the one thing the Kamari method doesn't really address is the digital world that we keep um, going towards. And I think that's going to keep happening as things become more digitized where it just becomes that's our way of consuming things and in the physical world where i can buy a book and then sell it off at a secondhand store or give it to a friend that might care for it i can't do that with my digital comics um so, so i'm just I, i'm i'm just curious like what, what would you what do you guys think of our digital things I mean, digital so, things to a degree, they are things, but they're also not things because they don't really take up space, I guess, like, especially on streaming services. Um, I think the best, like the KonMari way of thinking about that would be like, well, just make sure that all of your stuff is very organized and it's like not all over the place. 
but that's kind of easy to do because you can just you know click a button that says sort by you know a to z and then it's you know automatically organized so i i don't know bill do you do you do you have like a personal stress about like digital content like for yourself so like what how do you personally feel about how you're you're going with that well i i just think of like the netflix queue because that always seems to be building and building and building I think on my Netflix queue, I have like around 110 things, something like that. And the the thing that can be anxiety about that is, am I going to watch this? Oh, it might get kicked off Netflix at the end of this month. I need to watch that. Or, um, did, oh, I didn't finish this the full way. And that, that's kind of, that can also be applied to Crunchyroll or to my comic book subscription stuff like Marvel Unlimited of like, well, I'm paying for this, so I need to, I should take the time to read all of Brian Michael Bendis's run of Daredevil, but I need to do other things. And so that just can, I feel sometimes create anxiety within me. So I think that your, 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 your issue is less about like these specific digital like movies or books or games that you have actually bought and more about just like feeling the pressure of not being able to choose or prioritize the stuff that's available to you. Is that, is that what you mean? Yeah, I I guess, I guess that's where I'm going. Okay. I've got a thought about that, but you go ahead, Sully. Um, so it's not covered in the book, but kind of the KonMari community has discussed this before. And I think, I think digital media gives us a really great opportunity to kind of uh, put a lot of these things in practice. So with streaming, my thing is there's a lot of series I like, but I'm not going to buy every single physical copy. Like I bought Yuri on Ice and I bought the limited edition because it meant that much to me. But like uh, uh, I really like uh, Yami Shibai, but like I don't really care that much that like i'm not going to like rush to it and think i need like comfort food anime time to turn it on um i think streaming is a great way of like exposing ourselves to things without necessarily having to make like the financial commitment other than paying the streaming fee so with that i mean the kamari thing is like there's two schools of thought. There was this one guy I know who mentioned, like, I have a lot of comic books, but I want to get rid of them. But what if I want them again? People are like, well, digitize them. Well, some people say, then you're just cluttering up your hard drive space. And I think there's a middle ground of, you know, really, what do you want that badly to hold on to? Because nowadays, there's not as much lost media, at least not lost media that, you know, you're going to be kind of scrambling for. So, like with the Netflix queue, like, yeah, it might be gone, but it's probably somewhere else. If you want to see it that badly, then you're going to, like, seek it out and, like, pay for it or torrent it. I don't know. I mean, I I don't stress about that. And, like, I con Mari my YouTube playlists because I frequently keep, like, a watch later of, like, stuff that I want to see, usually documentaries. And then, you know, if I really just have not watched this, like, obviously I don't care enough to watch it if I haven't yet, so I'm going to get rid of it. Um, I think it's kind of going back to that thing I talked about in an article way back when, where it's like, you know, when you have so many choices, it becomes even more stressful just to make one as opposed to when your choices are limited and you don't feel that pressure. So I think actually clearing out your Netflix queue is good because honestly, 
if it's not if you really just have not seen it yet then you're not going to see it yeah it's like the book thing it's like if you haven't read it yet you're not going to read it mm -hmm. so you should just give it back out into the universe and it's not like you can't you know decide that you want to check it out later i mean you don't have to make those final decisions you can just make those decisions for you for like right now like there's been a couple times where i've gone through like my anime list and gone through my like plan to watch list and just been like i don't care about that i don't care about that i'm never gonna watch that i don't want to watch that and just cleared out like you know dozens and dozens of things and only left the stuff that i know that i really want to check out mm. so does does that help yeah it, it 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 basically sounds like you could apply the kinmari method of just discard the things that you're not really interested in it's just a different it's just digitized not physical right so i guess you guys have anything you want to cover in closing I mean, if it helps, Bill, right now on my desk, I'm looking at this envelope I have scrawled with, like, manga and anime to watch while I have time over the summer in my horrific, like, serial killer handwriting. <laughs> and I've had to cross out a lot. Like, you know, I wrote this down when I thought it'd be, like, something I really want to watch, and I'm like, yeah, I'd rather watch this first or, you know, so it, I... I it's it's all a, it's all a magical journey with with KonMari. We're going to learn to be happy or something like that. If I have to make a final note, um, when talking about like fan stuff, also when you are looking for stuff to express your fandom, look for fan artists because they don't get as much attention uh, sometimes. Like my favorite anime T-shirt right now that I wear like all the time is a fan Devilman t-shirt. I got it at a con. It was an artist who I love on Etsy, but I never felt like paying the shipping. And there she was. And I said, I want that shirt. And I got it. And I've worn it like I wore it Saturday. So uh, sometimes look for places that, you know, might customize it for you or might make it something unique for you. I think we live in a world where we're so connected with other fans and so many of them are so talented that sometimes it's great to go to them for, you know, your stuff instead of going to, like, Great Eastern or whatever is making those horrific plushies that are put out in Hot Topics and FYEs <laughs> and other places that stress me out. Plus, you're, you're supporting the, the fan community because those, those people who are making the fan art and the, and the fan t-shirts, they are fans, and they are making a living uh, trying to show and support their fandom in their own way through their unique designs or i want to temper that though with like buying official merch also helps the actual production of anime so like it's, it's, oh, it's yes. a fine line to walk with definitely well there's a difference between fan art and the bootleg so just <laughs> this do is not bootlegs this, yeah, do this not is the whole bootlegs that's a this is a different tangent we can go down one day, I guess. But uh, Bill, do you have any closing thoughts about KonMari or anything that we discussed? Um, I think while her method can be a bit extreme, I, I like it like when eventually I'll move. My idea is I'm just going to get rid of it, all my DVD cases and just put them in a CD case. Oh, that's a cringe. All the DVDs I care about because just moving all my DVDs I that just take an extra storage box that could go to something else. That's fair. That fair. It's that hurts me, but it's fair. I can't. I can't say also, that you're wrong. This is Doubtfire Collection. You have no room to judge any of us for how we store our fandom. <laughs> you're so right. You're so right. 
all right. Well, it's been a pleasure talking talking to you guys about this really interesting and fascinating topic and uh i hope that if anybody out there is listening if you've uh, learned anything or want to talk to us more about uh this particular topic or really any topic related to uh uh fandom or uh you know expressions of fandom or anime or manga or whatever uh feel free to always drop us a line at our many uh social media outlets including uh twitter uh where we're uh, pretty active on posting there and our account is at ti underscore anime. We're also on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash third impact anime. And we got our WordPress account, which is third impact anime.wordpress.com, where we post cool articles and where Bill is uh, screaming weekly about Lupin the Third, uh, which we all enjoy reading. And um, I'm probably going to have a. Uh, a uh, ensemble coverage episode or not episode but um article about uh, cutie honey universe coming out pretty soon i hope uh talking about the last couple of episodes that i still need to check out and um yeah that's that's pretty much it sully where can people talk to you about fandom crap on the internet you can find me being the otaku Martha Stewart at Calvacun, that's C-A-L-V-A underscore K-U-N on Twitter. Sorry, wa iko desu. And uh, that's, it's a good thing in Japanese, and I'm so glad I learned that from, like, the official Japanese Martha Stewart site. Wow. Um, <laughs> I'm oh, dedicated that, to this. That just reminds me of Konnichiwa, Steven Spielberg desk. <laughs> <laughs> and Bill, where can people talk to you about uh, Hearthstone? Uh, not, not just about Hearthstone, also Bluefin, don't forget that. Um, <laughs> you can find me um, on Twitter at WBForman999, but I don't really post a lot on Twitter. I'm more of an observer, so you can just find me a lot more on the press site. Uh, which I've already shamelessly plugged, so I'm I'm not going to bother you again, loyal listener. But I highly recommend if you are really into the spring season, we're doing a lot of coverage. Um, I'm writing these uh, reviews for Megalobox, Lupin the Third. I've written stuff for the new Persona Five anime that's come that's uh, out currently. Uh, and our newest member, Sarah, has been writing about the new uh, Sword Out Online show and a bunch of other shows that have that are keeping us busy on the spring season. So Yep, yep. Uh, all active on this front. And uh, we've got Animazement coming up at the end of the month, which we'll be doing a lot of panels for. Uh, mostly Tobias, because he is the most insane of the bunch, but uh, myself included. Uh, and Marissa, I believe, is also doing some panels, and uh, we'll be we'll be throwing out more info related to AZ stuff uh, later on in the month. Um, and as for me, like you can talk to me on Twitter at Bebop Shock, and that's Bebop as in Cowboy Bebop, and Shock as in Bioshock, and that's the easiest place to talk to me about whatever. Uh, so thanks again, guys, for joining me. This has been a super good conversation. I think we had a, a lot of uh, interesting thoughts, which is rare on this podcast. It's usually just a bunch of garbage, myself being uh, King Garbage, uh, a title that I wear with so absolute pride. you then. Probably. Just just go ahead and toss <laughs> me out. You'll, you'll get a spark of joy by putting me in the garbage can. Do I get a spark of joy when I hold Austin? No. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
<laughs> all right and with that and with that sick burn that's the end of our episode thank you guys for listening and we'll we'll see you in the next one konnichiwa steven spielberg desk